Lord, you are so kind, and uh, by your grace, would you please bless us today and help Scripture make sense to us. Help us to understand what it means to know you, know your Son, and what it means to follow uh, the ways of your Son. Thank you for your love and your grace. I'm asking this right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, all right. We're walking through Genesis, and what I want to do is read some Scriptures and there's a whole bunch up there, I know, that what the Bible says about our human condition. It's really kind of interesting. It's a bit sad, but it's also fascinating. Right off the bat, it says that we're made in the image of God. We're literally designed according to God's, uh, God's plan, his image. That's an amazing thing. So we are made in the image of God. That's number one. Number two, it says that we have the capacity for, die, for dying. We can die. And that God says very, very clearly regarding the tree in the garden that if you eat from it, you will die. So here we are made in God's image and we have the capacity for death. I was just talking to Alan. Uh, yesterday was the birthday of Martha Jane Thomas, somebody that has been a dear part of our family. The whole Thomases and the Perrys, it's been a beautiful thing for over 30 years, she gets COVID. She's one of the rare people where the COVID storm hits. After about week one with this thing, the lungs go into a hyperinflammatory response and they have to take her off the vent. Horrific what happened to her. Death is real, absolutely real. Um, after that, Genesis 8, man, man's heart is evil from his youth. Ecclesiastes 9, the hearts of the mankind are full of evil. And in fact, insanity is in their hearts. We're half crazy. Um, and then you have, you have Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful, desperately sick. In Hebrew, by the way, that means you can't fix it. The heart is so broken, it's not fixable. It's what that means in Hebrew. The sickness will not be cured. And yet you have in John three sixteen that we are the object of the love of God. <laughs> so... We got issues, people, right? We've got a kind of insanity between our ears. We've got a kind of evil in our hearts that's beyond curing. And yet, we're made in the image of God. And yet, we are the object of his love. This has a lot to do with mercy, doesn't it? And God's grace. And Romans, Paul makes it really clear that there's no one who is righteous, and this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you're saved. It's amazing. This is what it means to be human. This is a part of the human condition. Uh, some of us know the sting, the temptation and the sting of lying. We lie. There's something inside of us. We fear looking bad, so we lie. Our lies sometimes are small, insignificant lies. We, we kind of just exaggerate a bit. We exaggerate it up. We exaggerate it down. We're afraid that if we get the truth out, we're going to feel shame. And out of fear, we lie. Some of us, you know, we all, we all have our sin. Uh, um, uh, what the old King James says the besetting sins, the stuff that we easily stumble over. Each one of us has that. But we have that ability. So, all right.
kind of get you thinking here. Here's a walkthrough on some of the stories we've covered in Genesis. Certainly God creates the heavens and the earth, Adam and Eve, the serpent, the fall of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the first murder, Noah, the Tower of Babel, what happened with Abram and Lot, and then Abram and Hagar, and then Sarai and Hagar, and it's a mess already, it's a mess. And then Abraham, Abram becomes Abraham, Sarai becomes Sarah. By the way, Sarah means princess. And then Sodom and Gomorrah, that horrific story. The offering of Isaac. And then Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Leah and Rachel and, we could go on and on with that guy. Uh, Jacob became Israel and walks with a limp now. And then his 12 sons. They'd sell the, the baby brother to human traffickers. <laughs> they sell Joseph to human traffickers. He's sold and he's resold. And then he ends up in Egypt where he's sold again to a guy named Potiphar. And then today, Genesis 38, Judah, one of the 12 sons. And what happens with this guy, Judah? So um, I... I I told you that I'm going to be discreet, and I, I will. Um, I advise you to read Genesis 38 on your own. It's a tough one, okay? Read it on your own, and I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll tackle uh, the ending of the, of the chapter so that you'll appreciate what God is, is accomplishing here. And then I, I can't wait to hear from you guys about it. So let's talk about, let's talk about Genesis 38 and this kind of sin that leads to more sin and the mess of the human condition and what, it, what we deal with. Genesis 38, let me quickly set the scene. Judah has a son who dies. And according to ancient custom, the dad is obligated to make sure that the daughter or the daughter-in-law has the next of kin to marry her. Because in this culture, the priority of the bloodline is everything. Survival means having kids, and the bloodline is sacred, all right? Now, this is Judah, and you're going to be, I'm going to remind you of what it means to be part of the tribe of Judah. Now, it was about three months later that Judah was informed that your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has prostituted herself, and behold, she is also pregnant by prostitution. Then Judah said, bring her out and have her burned. It was while she was being brought out. Doesn't this almost sound like the scene where there's a woman caught and taken in front of the Pharisees? Almost get that scene. And while they brought her out, she sent word to her father-in-law. Judah said, I am pregnant by the man to whom these things belong. She also said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. And Judah recognized them that they belonged to him. And he said, she is more righteous than I. Since I did not give her my son, Shelah. In Hebrew, Shelah means to pray. It means to petition. It means to have a request. So Judah fails to be the man of the house 
and take care of things and ends up engaging in gross perversion. And once he's found out, he goes, she's more righteous than I. It's an interesting thing that when we get caught in our own sin, or rather prior to that, that there's a tendency for us to be extremely angry about the very thing we're guilty of. Did you hear that? (laughs) The very thing we're guilty of, we oftentimes can show horrific anger over that behavior in other people while we keep it hidden. And then once Judah is found out, he begins a process of repentance and he confesses she is more righteous than I. And that's his first step to repenting. Look what happens in Genesis 38. And it came about at the time she was giving birth that behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth that one baby put his hand out and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand saying, this one came out first. But it came about as he drew back his hand and behold, his brother came out. Then she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. So he was named Perez after his brother came out who had the scarlet thread in his hand and he was named Zira. Perez means to breach, to break through. Zira means the dawning of brightness. The dawning of brightness. Have you seen some of the sunrises recently? Beautiful, the sunsets, the dawning of brightness. By the way, Do you know what the Messiah is called in the prophets? The day star dawning in our hearts. Here we have in the names of Perez and Zira that God already has a plan of grace, already hinting at the coming of the Messiah. Look at this one. This is interesting. Uh, In 2 Samuel 12, the prophet Nathan confronts David over his perversion, his gross sin. And he tells the story about a man who's a great sheep herder and has all these sheep. And he's so, so selfish that he wants to go and steal the little ewe lamb that this old fella has. It's more of a pet because the old man doesn't have any kids. And so it's one little lamb is like all he has. Takes that little lamb and slaughters it to, to feed his guests. And when David hears that, it says in verse 5, David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to him, as the Lord lives, the man who had done this thing certainly deserved to die. And then the famous line, David, you are the man. You are the one. Mark 15, Pilate answered them and saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? He knows, Pilate knows Jesus is innocent. Verse 10, For he was also aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. Why did they take Jesus and have him arrested to take him to Pilate? Because they were jealous. Because all of Israel and the surrounding area of Judea and Galilee were turning to Jesus. And they were jealous. Wow, it's interesting that sometimes... The brokenness, remember the human condition, the brokenness brokenness deeply inside of us 
we react and overreact in anger and jealousy because we're guilty of the same stuff. And it lights, lights us up. And then our anger, we overreact and we get to project that onto other people. Romans 2, wow, talk about prophetic words. Therefore, you have no excuse, you foolish person. Every one of you who passes judgment, for in that the matter in which you judge someone else, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Guys, be careful with your temper. Girls, be careful with your temper. Be careful what you're jealous over. Because the stuff that we struggle with in envy and jealousy and anger oftentimes reveals the deep brokenness of our hearts. What's really going on inside of us. Okay. Now, by the way, uh, my, my heart's prayer today is that you're going to understand the grace of God. That's my prayer today. Let's keep going. All right. Look at this. We're gonna, I want you to see the Judas story through God's grace and truth. In Psalm 78, which comes hundreds of years later, Look at verse 65. Then the Lord, then God awoke as if from sleep, like a warrior overcome by wine. And he drove his adversaries backward and he put them on an everlasting disgrace or put on them an everlasting disgrace. He also rejected the tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. The tribe of Judah. Yeah, the guy that, wow, huge mistake. God caused all that to work together for good. It's beautiful. Uh, I want you to appreciate this. Matthew's, if you've watched The Chosen, which I hope you have, and the character that plays, uh, Paras Patel plays Matthew, and he's this brilliant, you know, super intelligent guy who suffers from, uh, he's on the autism spectrum, and he's got these little mannerisms, and he's not sure what he, to do with his nervousness, so he's always fidgeting with his fingers, and he, he's always got his head tilted as he's trying to you know, understand all the stuff. He's a brilliant guy. And his attention to detail is off the charts. And it is that guy that gives us this phenomenal genealogy that leads us from right on from Adam to the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. And this is what I want you to see. Verse one, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers, and Judah fathered Perez and Zerah, the one who breaks through in the dawning of brightness by Tamar. That's how that story is interpreted. Okay? So let me tell you something about grace. When we submit ourselves to the grace of God, to the truth of God and the grace of God, He can clean up the mess. He can, he can take the worst stuff we've done that nobody knows about. <laughs> You're watching on Facebook and I'll tell you, stuff that nobody... That, it, and it makes us lose sleep at night. Broken memories. He can take that and he can heal it 
and there's forgiveness and restoration, and he can make good come out of some of our most horrific decisions or that we're the victims of people who are making those horrific decisions. He can cause all things to work for good. And he did that with Tamar. That's grace. Tamar makes the bloodline. Patch, I know you know this. You're, you're, you're a great student of Scripture. In fact, if you read this closely, and I've, I've highlighted it for you, there are five women included in the bloodline, and they're all associated with some kind of scandal. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, was associated with scandal. This is grace, God's grace. All right. Look at this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Okay. Look at verse, look at Revelation. I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. There was a scroll. Let me help you with that. There was a scroll with writing on it describing how God's going to right all the wrongs and fix the mess and, and bring in the kingdom of God. This is a beautiful thing. But there was nobody worthy or who had the authority to open it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to be able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus Christ is the one that came from the bloodline of Judah. Horrific sin. Horrific. Unspeakable. God caused all things to work together for good. If you think you've blown God's plan for your life, rest in this. You, my friend, are not that powerful. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Sometimes we get so self-centered. The word is egocentric, where we put ourselves in the center. We're we're the centerpiece of the universe. We get so caught up in us that we forget that God is God and we are not. (laughs) We are not God. And our decisions on earth, no matter how incredibly morally upright and good they are, will not somehow turn the course of heaven and pivot because we did the right thing. That's not how it works. Nor your worst nightmare behavior that nobody knows about is not going to destroy the purposes of God. So if you understand the sovereignty of God, and that's what we're talking about, you have to understand that God accomplishes his purpose and nobody steers him off course. Nobody. That's the love of God. That is the grace of God. And that is all according to the nature of God, that he is right. All right. We've been digging in. I want to turn this over to you. You're the church. We hit this fast. You're the church. You're the body of Christ. You have experienced the new birth. Jesus lives inside of you. It's the teaching of the New Testament. It's what it means. How do we pull the story of Judah into our world today? Genesis 38. That God can 
right wrongs. God does cause things to work together. You're the church. What would you say? And Stephen, let me know if someone online speaks. Why is this important to us, this story? What do you think? You do know that up until after this story, Judah was not a good guy. He's not a good guy. Yeah. You know, he did. Uh, Tamar knew that. She, he had told her, you wait, I'll give you my third son. And she knew he had grown up. And so something to learn is understand who you're dealing with. Yeah. And she said, okay, exchange goods and services. I need, I need something. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. She would have obviously been killed if she hadn't had the signet ring the staff. Yes. So yes. to understand that. But then, I mean, <clears throat> Judah, Judas is up. He's the lion of Judah. That to me, that it's just, it's just a blow away thing. That yeah. This is redemption. This is this is God's grace. Yeah. And great action, and we can see how God can use you if you repent, because Judah recognized. Yes. What he had done, and he didn't say it was just a bad moment. You know. Make excuses. Yeah. yeah. He, he he accepted responsibility and yeah. courageously did the right thing. Yeah, yeah. That's good, Lee. That's very good. Yeah. This is the story of redemption. And those two boys, <laughs> the one who breaks through and brings the dawning, I'm, it's such a redemption story. Yeah. Anybody else? Why does this matter? whenever he stands up. Titles matter. They mean position, they mean authority. So as a lieutenant, when he gives an order, when he does a job, he not only expects people to obey him, but he expects them to obey him quickly because there's reasons why Alan's going to give orders. So titles matter. They're important. You know one of the favorite titles Jesus used to describe himself? Son of man. That's odd. Shouldn't it be son of God or something like that? You know, the Holy and Righteous One, we'd kind of expect that. But he said the Son of Man. Why? Why, Patch, would he say that? Take it down to our level. Why would he do that? Son of Man. Absolutely. Yep. And in fact, in Hebrews, Linda, it says he was tempted, remember? Tempted in all things, just like we are, only without sin. And because of that, we can go running to him and, and find help and mercy in our time of need. Lee, that's the redemption story. He was born in the bloodline of people who could mess it up royal. And yet, coming out of that, we can find mercy and grace in him. Someone else, why does this matter? 
story of Judah, I think, puts us in a position of being reminded that we were invited into God's family, and that Paul talks about the fullness of Christ, that he was before all things, that all things were created for him, that he has control over all things. And when we look at the evil in the world, when we look at the things that we don't agree with, the things that God's really angry, it would be really easy to ask the question, God, why? I mean, if you're the God that knows all these things, if you're the God that was, and Jesus was before all these things that were created for him, I mean, reminded of Pharaoh, God hardened his heart. These are things that are hard to swallow as a Christian. But Judah's story reminds me that that invitation into the family of God is something incredibly special. That each one of us sitting here right now that know Christ, know we're invited. That we were, it was revealed to us the love of God. And that there will be those who don't. There will be those who are exposed to it and choose another way. So when I hear Judah's story, I'm reminded of the fact that God exposes his love, his grace, his mercy to those people. And we, we, get, we get that. We, we are invited in. We are able to um, be reconciled to God. And it's almost as if that invitation gives us an exclusion that God wants it from everybody. I mean, obviously, he wants the whole world reconciled to himself. Mm -hmm. But to put it bluntly, thank God I'm not Pharaoh. Thank God, in, in the story of God, he did not harden my heart for his glory. Yeah, yeah. And I think the story of Judah reminds us that, yes, God uses the messiest of things to bring glory to himself. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that I'm not the antagonist in the story, or I'm not, I'm not the Pharaoh, necessarily, yeah, yeah. that in spite of my own weaknesses, in spite of my own bad decisions, God chooses to lavish his love on me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Pat. You spoke really on behalf of all of us. Um, this is so good. Someone else, why does this matter? Yeah, Joe. It is pretty obviously human tendency to teach religion from a hyper-behavioral focus point. Okay. And what I mean there is you focus on obedience, you focus on following the rules, you focus on doing the right and avoiding the wrong, and you put extreme focus on that to the expense of everything else. Uh, this story really reminds me of the woman caught in adultery. Mm -hmm. So here we have basically the same scene the woman is the one who's in under threat of being stoned. All these men want to stone her. Christ wisely points out, you don't have sin, cast first stone. And I don't think he specifically meant any of you who haven't slept with a prostitute really cast first stone. Obviously, Judah's ready to do the same thing until he comes, oh, boy, that was me. And the reason I think that they got that way, even these Jewish leaders who had this story and should have known the lesson within it, had taught behavior, Follow Torah, follow Torah, because I'll bring the side back to the exclusion of the point of view of grace. And we do the same thing. Uh, it's called legalism sometimes, but really anytime, you know, your focus is on what you can perceive in yourself and even what you can perceive in others as far as behavior goes, the grace piece slips away. 
because we become very, very sensitive on how people act and what they look like, and then we're, uh, then we're tempted to put up a face or a mask to make it look like we got everything together and all that kind of thing. The beauty of what we have in Christianity is that God works best through the broken. Hmm. Very obviously, Judah's broken here, and he repented, and God worked through him because that allows God to be the one that shines. <laughs> if I've got this great face on and Joe's got it all together, how does God shine through me? He can't. So instead of focusing to me on the behavior, you ought, to, you ought to realize that holiness does not come from the way you behave. Holiness is proof, or behavior is proof of the holiness. Is what I'm trying to say. Very wise, because holiness is a gift. Yes, and, and we can't get it by the way we act. The way we act cannot earn it. The way that we have. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so good, Joe. Um, okay, let's try to get inside Satan's head. You ready? Let's have a little fun here. If you're Satan, think about screw tape, right? In the C.S. Lewis, uh, Lewis writings, the screw tape letters. If you can get inside Satan's head, what would be one of the most effective sins you could help engage somebody in? Like, if you do this, boy, you got them. You hook them in a rhythm. What, what's it going to be? What sin might be one of the most dangerous or lethal sins? What would it be? Pride, absolutely pride. Yeah. Man, that's dangerous. Yeah. When you think you're morally better than... You think you're better than Judah? You think you are? <laughs> wow, be careful with that one. You think you're better than David? You think you're better than... Pick the person, doesn't matter. Um, that's pretty dangerous. Yeah. So it's by grace. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, Joe. Not at all. Okay, you ready for a fun question? Let's, let's really make this practical. If you got this, Joe, if you got this story about grace, because we've all sinned, right? Nobody can take the rock and say, behold, I'm righteous, let me smack you with my rock. None of us can say that. Can't say it to your parents, can't say it to your kids, can't say it to anybody. If you get that, how would it affect your marriage? Uh-oh, I just crossed the line. Bear with me. If you get this, how would it affect your marriage? What do you think? Not that anybody would pick up a stone and try to throw it at your spouse. I'm not sure that would never happen in your house. Maybe a skillet, Janice. Maybe a little cast iron every now and then. What do you think? How would it affect your marriage? What do you think? You wouldn't be building up walls of pride between each other. You'd be yeah. able to find common ground easier. Yeah. And taking uh, away, be more loving towards your spouse. Yeah. We can turn the anger volume down. Let's turn it down. Absolutely. Amen, Eli. We can turn the jealousy down. We can turn the volume on a lot of junk way down. And we can learn to be kind. And we can learn to listen, which is a beautiful gift. So, uh, What about parent-child relationships? Will this make a difference in moms and dads, you think? We get it. Sloan, you're smiling. Yeah, make a big difference, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. By the way, don't, please don't misunderstand grace. Not that you would, because I think you guys are, are well-taught. You're, you're, you're smart people. There were early, early Christians who took this message of grace. Joe, they went wild with it and they thought, oh, grace, oh, wait, 
Grace overcomes sin. And there's more than enough grace. It doesn't matter what we do. I can sin all I want to, and God's grace is going to overpower that. And all of a sudden, they, took, they, they saw grace as a license to be irresponsible. That's not what we're talking about. In Christ church, that's not who you are anyway. We're not, we're not going to go light on anything. We're just going to Joe, you really said it well, that when you receive grace, now we have a reason to adjust our behaviors, to, to repent and to live out the holiness that's inside of us. Yeah, that's, that's called discipleship, by the way. Anybody else? How does this matter? Or how do we apply this to our lives? Why does this matter? Anybody else? Did you ask about, about marriage and other relationships or work or any, any of that stuff? It, it comes to a place to realize that God is bigger than anything we're facing. Way bigger. Way bigger. And the fruit of the Spirit is patience. When is it hardest to apply patience? <laughs> when our kids are irritating us. Yeah, or yeah, your exactly. wife or, or your job or... <laughs> Another thing to, with Judah, who was Judah's mom? She wasn't wanted. You know, she wasn't a, a choice mother. <laughs> that's good, that's good. That's insightful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Yes. That is so wise, Andrew. Andrew, a little, a little transparent with you guys. Um, my bio father was not a good man, and you know that. And Lisa can tell you that one of my goals in life was to not be like him. <laughs> okay? I kind of had a pretty, pretty easy compass from that standpoint. That, that, that Don Barnett, I did not want to be that man at all. At all. And so I wanted to take the, absent, the, uh, the opposite track of my life from his and and you know you you find young men here and young ladies here sometimes we can take a competitive view toward our parents and and you know adults little kids like like dan and noah beautiful relationship but noah's going to get older and there's going to be a challenge that dan will face with noah and there's challenges that 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 you the young folks here face and and Bruce and, and uh, Colin, I bet you have felt that challenge. You, you should, by the way. It's called growing up. And um, as children age, they become, to a degree, peer-like with their parents. We now have adults. Some are a little older, but they're all adults now. And the dynamics change. And then eventually you have role reversal, and you start parenting your parents. 
Welcome to the great circle of life, all right? And we're in it, and you're in it, and you're not going to, you don't have the luxury of avoiding it. It is happening. Be careful with being competitive with your parents. Be careful with that. Be careful. Because guess what you find out when the gray hair sets in on you? What do you find out? Are you better than your mom? Are you better than your dad? Are you? No, Philip, no. Why? Why? Exactly. We are, what, is Paul, what did Paul say? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet sometimes in our youth, we can be very, very idealistic and we can judge hard the older generation. I mean hard. We can get competitive and say, I'm going to do it better than they did. They're doing a lousy job and I'm going to be way better than my dad. And then all of a sudden, guess what? Mirror, mirror on the wall. I'm my dad after all. Oh, man. You know, I'm my mother after all. Ugh. Oh, wait. Mom and dad have a sin nature just like you do. <laughs> just like you do. So, okay. Jesus ties all this together in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, verse 12. And he says what? We should all have this memorized. Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, treat, treat people the way you want to be treated. The golden rule. Wow. Do you realize the mess that not only cleans up, how about this, the mess that's avoided? If you can live by, the, by Matthew 7, 12. Wow. The, the messes that are avoided. By treating people the way you want to be treated. Wow. Think that'll transform a frustrating marriage? Good. I'm not going to guarantee it. But it could. I think it can transform relationships at home. Absolutely. Work. Sure. Sure. All right. I want to show you this. I want to remind you of the gospel. Uh, Lee, this is Jesus' first sermon. It was about three seconds. I'm really blowing it if it takes me that long. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the first sermon Jesus ever preached. One sentence. Repent and believe. Why? Because God loves you so much, all of you, that he gave his only begotten son, one of a kind son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 1, as many as received him, something's got to leave, something's got to happen. He's got to go from the outside to the inside. Okay? He's got to step out of heaven and step inside of me. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. How does that happen? What do you do? Paul tells us that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not hard. It's not about obeying the law, 10 rules or, or modifying it up to the ones you favor. It's not about the law. Joe nailed it. It's about repenting and believing the gospel. 
Jesus said you've got to become as a child. You should see Rebecca. Is Rebecca here? There's Rebecca. You should see little Evelyn Margot with Rebecca. And the, the bond they share in the contentedness and Evelyn's spirit when she's with mom. It's a beautiful thing. When we have childlike faith, it's simple. It's about trust. It's like Evelyn trusting mom and the contentedness of her own faith in Rebecca. All right. I want to pray and bless you guys. Abba, Father, I love you and I thank you so much for all that's been shared this morning and, and that we can learn from Judah. Uh, we can learn from the stories and we can learn the wisdom of living out the teaching of your son. Made it very clear. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And there's truth in that. And there's grace in that. But Father, first and foremost, we've got to be born again. Pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would literally repent and believe the gospel. They changed their mind and they changed their ways and they would believe in the truth of Jesus Christ. Please let this happen, Father. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.